We're looking today at Acts chapter 2 and we're looking at the Holy Spirit. And I was just thinking about that as I was getting up here and just thinking about what the Holy Spirit has done to make every one of us here be here today. And the, uh, just thinking about the infinitude of, of a God who is able to understand the circumstances in your life, in your family, and is able to coordinate things and make positive stuff happen for the glory of God and for the kingdom of God and the building of God. And just uh, we sort of worry about what he will do and, and, and what he'll get done and we have our idea about what we'd like to see get done. But regardless of that, way bigger than our understandings is the fact that God is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Amen. So let's come and ask the Lord for a special teaching today. Lord, as we look into your word, please open it for us and may these words not just be words, but may they be the impartation of yourself, the uh, communication to our, our very heart of our being to know that this is truth and to understand how it might apply to our lives. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, it was probably the upper room, and suddenly there was a sound, like. Now it's a sound, it's like, but it's not an actual wind, but it's a sound like, the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated, came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What a moment. What a moment in history. Because God at this point officially and very visibly changes the way that he interacts with people, with humanity. You see, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would sometimes come upon people for a particular job, for a time, for a an occasion but now he's going to live within every believer and there'll be no more going up to the temple to pray because each believer becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit and if you remember from Acts 1 Jesus had taught his disciples he said hang around in Jerusalem until you get power that you're going to need for the next big thing that's going to happen the next era of salvation history the era which we would call the era of the church and the church era is going to extend from just the Jews who thought, ah, we're the only guys who've got the good stuff. It's going to then expand to the Samaritans who are those very pesky next-door neighbours. And then it's going to go beyond to everyone who's not even a Jew, and to anyone who will believe in Jesus. And in order for that to happen, there's a special empowering needed. And so the Holy Spirit baptised the Jewish apostles in Acts chapter 2, as we've just read, and if you go forward, you'll see then he baptizes the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And then he goes to people who are not Jews, first to the Corinth, to Corinthians, and then to Ephesus, to the Ephesians. In, that's in Acts 10 and Acts 19. So what a moment in history when the invisible, the spiritual world just pushes through in a mysterious way into our flesh and blood earthly world and demonstrates that there's more to reality than what you can see and what you can touch with your hands. The sense of hearing, 
that gets buffeted with a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Well, there is, there's no actual wind. The sense of sight sees what looks like tongues of fire, but there's no actual fire. And somehow, without any prior learning, the speech centers in the apostles' minds are released from the curse which God placed on people at the Tower of Babel, and clear communication is made with Jews from all over the known world. They've come in for this feast time, and all over the world they're hearing in their own languages the glories of God. What a moment. What a moment in history. When the invisible Holy Spirit empowers the church to do what? To proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is Saviour at the will of God the Father. And now the questions come. Why doesn't this happen every Sunday? Was this meant to be the normal Christian life? Or will it never happen again? Is what happened at Pentecost the sign? Is that the evidence that the Holy Spirit's working? There are many questions. It's a very provocative story, isn't it? And two big phrases come out of this story. One is being baptised by the Holy Spirit and the other is being filled with the Spirit. And there are a wide variety of interpretations of those two phrases in the church. And people are serious about it and they're passionate about what they think happened and they're passionate about what they want to see happen because of it. And large portions of the church see that dramatic experience and they want to experience what they experienced and they want Holy Spirit experiences and they almost can believe that they're saved by an experience rather than what was on the screen saved by faith and this desire to have experiences and the elevation of the desire to feel things has been a subtle underpinning value underneath advertising that we've been absorbing quietly for years and for years. <clears throat> and in politics it's the same. They've got these emotive slogans, phrases which they run them out and they create a response in you and uh, they blast those slogans at you over and over and they cheer greatly when you accept it and they attack you severely if you dare to question it. But all they are is slogans. And what it amounts to is that is a tremendous attack on critical and careful thinking. It's an attack on logical reasoning. And it's really a return to the Middle Ages of superstition, where if you didn't agree with whatever the current leader said was the way to go, then you got severely censored. And in Christianity, where once Christians were discussing, what does it mean? Because there's many places, be filled with the Spirit. What's that mean? And when once they took very seriously the need to search the Scriptures diligently for truth, like the people did in Berea, now they are more inclined to search for feelings and experiences as the place that you find truth. And if you experience something, then it has to be true. And nowadays people are searching for Christian experiences of ecstatic and powerful emotions, of miracles and spontaneous prophetic ideas. They're searching for thrills. 
and they value highly spontaneous ideas over prayerful and thoughtful preparation. And they want to experience the power of the Spirit. They want something outside to come upon themselves and they want the signs and the wonders and experiences that come from the baptism of the Spirit. And it's, there's a temptation in that. I mean, it's not all bad, but there's a temptation to exalt what goes on in your inner life above the Word of God. And many can slip very easily into saying, well, God told me, because they sort of trust their inner whole thought life as a very reliable channel for what God says and trust their inner experience for truth and they're in danger of minimising the stature and the importance of the written word. And they stand in danger of breaking God's command to not add to the written word and to not take away from the written word. What a moment in history. What a provocative moment in history. And so I thought, in the, given that context, before we go further with the book of Acts, we should just stop for a moment and think a bit more about the Holy Spirit according to what we see in the rest of Scripture. Because there there's a very, can be a, a narrow view going around that the Holy Spirit's main job is to slay you in the Spirit and have you manifest a wide variety of particular behaviours Behaviours which in actual fact you often see in people who are just out of it or they're under drugs or substances or they're drunk or they're in an altered state of consciousness or they're doing things which other cults and religions do. It's very scary that Kundalini Hindus and African tribal ceremonies and Mormon ceremonies have some of the very similar experiences that you see in some church services. Shaking, it's uncontrollable laughter, speaking in, speaking in tongues, uh, not all speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues and babbling away. Very similar. It's not just in Christianity. So you wonder, is God bigger than that? And the truth is that in the search for signs and wonders, in the search for ecstatic religious experiences, in the search for Christian thrills, many miss the miracles of the normal, ordinary life. Many just completely underestimate the significance of the spectacular work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that he performs every day and miss how amazing it is that us who are so self-centred, who are sinful, that are building within us by the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Holy Spirit does that within us and many uh, miss that because we don't feel the Holy Spirit doing those things in us. And just from time to time you notice the fact, oh, I'm better in this area now. And we don't understand that this normal way of doing things is miraculous and amazing and powerful. You don't need a special baptism for that to happen in you. And many of us don't understand the immensity of the Holy Spirit's infinitude, his role in creating the universe. And he didn't just create it and let it run on like a clock. He sustains it. He's in it. His role in making us alive, rebirthing us. His role in protecting us. How many times have we been protected by the Holy Spirit of God? 
How many times have we been guided? How many times have we been taught? How many times have we been illuminated? We're reading the scripture and, and suddenly we understand it. That's amazing stuff. And many of us don't understand the holiness and the purity from sin of the Holy Spirit. Because they say, Lord, give me more of God. They want more God. They don't understand how scary God's presence actually is for sinful human beings. Think about this. God did come down, you know. He came down to the Israelites. He just delivered them out of Egypt and he gave them the Ten Commandments. He came down and let's see in Exodus 19. On the morning of the third day, there's a mountain there. There's thunder. There's lightning. There's a thick cloud over the mountain. There's a very loud trumpet blast. What was the human reaction? Give me more of God. Everyone trembled. Everyone in the camp trembled because holiness and sinfulness can't coexist together. The only way we can be in the presence of God is to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. And so if the Holy God really did show up, you'd be suddenly you'd see what you were really like and you'd be mortified to your unholy state. And many of us don't understand that the Holy Spirit is more concerned with making us more like Jesus than with performing signs and wonders. And many of us don't understand that regardless of what we want out of God, God's will will be done regardless of our input, regardless of our jumping up and down about what should happen. So as you think about God's written revelation to us, the Bible. We want to set the scene for Pentecost from that. We want to place Pentecost within the bigger understanding of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And certainly the book of Acts is 50 times it gets mentioned, so it's very good. Big part of understanding what the Holy Spirit's about. But we go back to Genesis 1, the very first book of the Bible, and verse, this very second verse of the Bible. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And who's there? The Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Just meditate on the infinitude of that. Consider, he's everywhere. And his presence is inescapable. You want to get away from him? Look at what 100, Psalm 139 says. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? <laughs> Nowhere. He is the source of the life that we enjoy. He was the power source hovering over the surface of the earth at the beginning, poised and ready to get on with being involved in shaping this amazing world in which we live. Remember that, verse 2, now the earth was formless and dark, empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God's there, he's hovering over the waters, and he is also the source of human life. Verse 7 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed nostrils into, into his nostrils the breath of life. And the breath of life is a, another phrase for the Holy Spirit. And the man became a living being. And all of us are descended from this one man. The Holy Spirit is the breath of humanity. He breathed life into all of us. 
and in union with Jesus, we can see how dependent upon how dependent the very existence of life is. It's dependent upon God's capacity to hold the universe together. Right? Colossians 1.15, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. See, the Holy Spirit wasn't there by himself. Jesus was there as well, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him, not for our good pleasure, for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. The Holy Spirit was deeply involved in the coming of Christ, we know, in the virgin birth. Luke 1, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? And the angel said, who will come upon you? The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is involved with bringing Jesus to us. Holy Spirit reveals divine truth. John 14, verse 26. Talking about the Holy Spirit, the Advocate, whom the Father will send in my name. What will he do? He'll teach you all things. You can't understand the Bible unless he illuminates you. If you think, oh, I'm just reading this for myself, you don't really know it until the Holy Spirit teaches it to you and reminds you of everything I've said to you. John 16, verse 13, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, what will he do? He'll guide you into all the truth. He'll not speak on his own. He'll speak only what he hears, and he'll tell you what is yet to come. See, these are things the Holy Spirit is doing all the time. It's the evidence of the Holy Spirit doing stuff in you. It's you understanding the Bible. Romans 8, In the same way, the Spirit helps us with our weakness. Yeah, we know that, don't we? Help, him, help us, Jesus. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Even when we can't articulate it, the Spirit still knows what's going on in you. That's a miracle in itself. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God pe God's people in accordance with the will of God. And he's taken this stuff to the Father, to God the Father, on our behalf. Wow. And the Holy Spirit produces the Bible. He is the breath of God. To Timothy, all scripture is God breathed. See, he breathed into existence to the world. It's breathing the scripture and it's useful for many things, for teaching us, for rebuking us. Oh, we don't like that, but yes, it is. Rebuking us, correcting us, training us in righteousness. And that just reminds us of the supreme importance. Read our Bible every day. Memorize large sections of it if you can. For if you want the Holy Spirit to speak to you, then just work it out. He has already spoken perfectly to you everything you need to know. You don't need to hear a voice, you need to hear a verse. The Holy Spirit moves also upon our hearts and consciences consciences and he brings the truth powerfully to us when we believe it 
We see that in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 4. Apostle Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Now, when you someone believes, you can only do that because the Spirit has empowered you to do that. Now, the Holy Spirit does something else which is not comfortable. He convicts us of sin. And he graciously helps us to repent, which means turn away from it and believe. And if you're just addicted to positivity, to the, the good stuff, the blessings we have in Jesus, the power and authority we have in Jesus' name, and if you're addicted to feeling strong because of Jesus, just remember that everything good about that is due to Jesus, not due to us. We must never deny the reality that we are fallen human beings, that we are insufficient, we are unable to save ourselves, that there's a desperate wickedness in our hearts because we want to rebel against God. We want to be our own master, our own boss. And the Holy Spirit starts a relationship with us by showing us that by showing us our sinfulness, by helping us turn away from it and birthing within us a faith in Jesus. John 16, verse 8. When he comes, what will he do? He will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. When the Spirit comes, it proves us to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. What else? 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5. Because our gospel come, came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and what comes with the Holy Spirit? Deep conviction. And Paul goes on to talk about how, you know, how we lived amongst you for your sake and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of suffering. And here's something else we get from the Holy Spirit. Joy. Joy from the Holy Spirit. Nothing bad about knowing that you're a sinner. It's only bad if you don't take the remedy for it. Because the Holy Spirit regenerates a sinner. He comforts the sinner. He bears witness to our fact that he adopts us into his very family. Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And you become children. God's child. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves. People say, oh, I don't want to be ruled by somebody else. Guess what you're a slave of? You're a slave of your own desires. The Holy Spirit takes you away from being a slave. It doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption. You become a son and you cry out, Abba, my dad, father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. There's a connection that we are God's children. That's glorious. That is a wonderful thing to rest in and to rejoice in. And of course, as kids, you want your kids to be as good as they can be, so the Holy Spirit sanctifies believers. That means purifies them from 2 Corinthians 3. 
And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed. That's what he does in us. That's a miracle. That's amazing. Transforms us into what? God's image. He wants us to be more like Jesus with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And there's other things the Holy Spirit does. He works. You know, we've got uh, deacons uh, and uh, board members' elections coming up. The Holy Spirit guides in that process, calls people into various offices. We saw that happening in Acts chapter 13. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. And we know the Holy Spirit liberates us from the penalty of sin. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Now, who amongst us has not prayed, please come, Holy Spirit? It's a good prayer. Well, as you do pray for the Holy Spirit to come, Let's just remember this aspect too, that the Holy Spirit's job is not to draw attention to himself. The main purpose of the Holy Spirit is to draw attention to Jesus and to equip believers for witness about Jesus. Acts verse 1 verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses about Jesus in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, see, the Holy Spirit is not to be exalted for his own sake, but rather for Christ's sake. And think about this. In the, it's in the strong name of Jesus of Nazareth that the Spirit-filled apostles preach, and they do the miraculous works of love in Jesus' name. Acts 3, verse 6. Peter, there's a, blo there's a lame man, he says, Children God I don't have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of the Holy Spirit? No, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. Because the Spirit jealously guards the honour of the Lord Jesus and refuses taking glory to himself. John 16 verse 14 is very clear. The Holy Spirit, he will glorify me, says Jesus, because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And any spiritual experience you have, and we have them and they're legitimate, some of them, but not all of them. They need to be tested. Tested about whether our experiences point us to Jesus, whether our experiences make us more like Jesus, whether our experiences strengthen our capacity to tell others about Jesus. We're very clear. 1 John 4 verse 1, Dear friends, don't believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And very early in the church's history, the Apostle Paul had to talk about testing spirits because very early in the church's life, people were making extravagant claims regarding the Holy Spirit and they were misusing his gifts and using them in such a way that it made disharmony. And Paul's response was, hey, let's get these things in perspective. The spectacular gifts of the, of the Spirit have to be in second place to love and to the second place the love of Christ shed abroad in the heart by the Spirit. Romans 5, verse 5, Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Hey, the Holy Spirit's there to pour love into us. And Romans 15, 30, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love which comes from here, yeah, the love of the Spirit. 
and join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. God is placed, I'm sorry, Paul places more stress here upon the moral fruit of the Spirit than of the gifts of the Spirit. That's the priority. The other comes as well, but put them in the right order. The value of the gifts is judged by this fruit, love and joy, peace and forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Any experience of the Holy Spirit needs to have these things permeating through it. Gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. Now I need to talk about one little aspect too. There's, there's a big idea in some circles, well in all circles, don't quench the Spirit, right? Don't quench the Spirit. But some people say you quench the Spirit by just thinking too much. Yeah, you're too in your head. Let go, let your heart get involved. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Enter into the experience. Let it come. And people who talk this way forget something very important about the heart and disconnecting your mind. Mark 7 verse 20 to 22. What comes out of a person is what defiles them for it is within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, that sexual immorality comes. But theft and murder and adultery and greed and malice and deceit and lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly, they come when you let the heart out. And people want us to trust in what feels right in our spiritual experiences without critical thinking are just grossly overestimating the goodness of the human heart. So let's think about this, this way, these verses about not quenching the spirit and see what they say. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 19 says don't quench the spirit. Great, don't quench the spirit. Don't treat prophecies with contempt but test them all. Hold on to what's good and reject every kind of evil. And so it's really saying there is an evaluation here to go on. All experience needs to be evaluated. The brain, that critical thinking apparatus is not turned off in order to feel or experience the spirit. Turning off common sense in order to open yourself up is potentially very dangerous because Satan can masquerade as an angel of light. It's definitely possible for glittery and attractive entities to look so good whilst having a sting in their tails. And Think about this, how many famous and powerful people do you know who made devils with the dark side in order to get there and then they got powerful and then they tragically died or dreadful problems in their family. Ephesians 4 verse 30 Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And you say, do not grieve. Oh, okay. Need more clues here. Well, let's go on to the next couple of verses. Uh, verse 31 Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Oh, get rid of bitterness. Get rid of rage. Get rid of anger. Get rid of brawling and slander and every form of malice. And what else? What's another clue about not grieving the Holy Spirit? Verse 32, the next verse, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. And so proof of genuine Holy Spirit presence and activity in your life is the fruit of the Spirit. It's non-selfishness. It's got a focus upon the Lord Jesus. 
So just to wrap it up, the Holy Spirit is God and is worthy of our reverence. It's worthy of our respect. It's worthy of our trust and we need to rely upon him for guidance and leading and empowering every day and moment by moment. And we remember as we do that, his main job is to empower us to tell others about Jesus, how wonderful Jesus is. He wants to direct our attention to Jesus. He wants to transform us to be more like Jesus and to love like Jesus. And as we pay attention to the Bible, the written word where he's written down everything we need to know to make that happen, it's all there. As we pay attention to that and absorb it, then he will build within us that context, that fruits of the Spirit, out of which the gifts of the Spirit can be exercised under the guidance of the Spirit for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, there's a lot of information in there. We just want to sort of gel for a moment and see what it is out of that which is your message for us today. So we don't want to be people who just look into the mirror and then turn away and forget what we saw. We want to spend and dwell enough in your written word that you might teach us from it and guide us from it and release the fruit within us fruit of the Holy Spirit that we may go into the world telling them about the Lord Jesus and salvation Amen.